to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap of the Thunder Clippers game on Friday. Before I go into that, though, I just want to say my bad for these podcasts kind of coming out like after lunch. I, I try to like record them pretty late at night and get them out around like 5 or 6 a.m. CST. But I got so much crap on my hands right now, so uh, I'm trying. Like I said, I'm, I'm really sorry if I haven't been able to get it out like in the mornings every single day. But yeah, uh, hopefully I'll be able to get back on track with those. So my bad if you guys are listening to this at like 8 p.m. on Saturday or, or whenever you guys might be listening to this. Anyways, uh, just going into the game though, we came into this one 6-7. and seven. I think our intentions have, like, I feel like we've kind of been in this battle throughout the entire season where, you know, we're 1-1, we're one and one, then we're 1-2, and two, we got to claw back, now we're 3-3, three 3-4, and 4-4, three, three and, four, four and four. you know, every single game it seems like we're hovering a, one game outside of that 500 mark, and it's really been that way since, you know, we came back from our 1-3 start to this season, really. And, you know, this is our opportunity to get back on the high side of things and get to that 7-7 mark once again. You know, this was our second game of our five-game road trip. And actually, uh, I'll go into this later, but we're facing them again on Sunday. I I think it's called like a baseball series or whatever. Pretty much we're playing them again uh, back-to-back with just a one-game break in between. But, yeah. So we entered at six and seven. We wanted to get back up to that even seven and seven mark. And the Los Angeles Clippers, they were eleven and four entering this game. And there was like there's like a huge kind of log jam at the one through three spots in the West at the moment. Because you had the Lakers who were twelve and four, the Jazz were eleven and four, and the Clippers were eleven and four entering this one. And the Jazz were the two seed, Clippers three, because the Jazz ended up beating the Clippers earlier in the regular season. But anyways, pretty much if the Clippers won, they would elevate to the number one seed in the conference. So they were trying to go as hard as possible to get the number one seed for the first time of the year. And they were coming to this one really, really hot. They had been on a five-game win streak to this point, looking to turn into six. And they were actually able to because they defeated us 120 to 106. And in the early parts of this game, you know, it was really obvious that this may have been a long game for the Thunder. We ended up getting outscored 36 to 18 in that first quarter alone. But look, they got on a 16 to 6 run in the first five minutes because they were all about passing the ball around getting the wide-open looks, they were 7 of 10 in that first stretch. We were 3 of 12 because we were setting a ton of high ball screens with Isaiah Roby. SGA was driving, couldn't find anyone. And whenever we tried kicking it out for three, we just could not make any shots to go. And look, this this little run, the 16-6 run the Clippers had, it got even bigger in those next two minutes. They managed to go on another 7-2 run in those next two minutes. And if you combine the first seven, 
They were 10 of 13 from the field, 3 of 3 from downtown, and 6 of their 10 shots came off of the assist. And that's, you know, due to them, in particular, guys like Paul George and Kawhi, being able to drive in, attract defenders, and then we got everybody swarming out of position. You know, if there's three guys out at the perimeter and only two people playing defense, you know, you just keep swinging around until you find the open player, and they'll shoot the ball for you. And that's what they continue to do. And we could not stop it, and they tried going inside with players like Ibaka, and it was working. For us, that entire first quarter was just revolved around trying to set screens, and, you know, SGA was not able to get in. So it was a lot of SGA being double-teamed off the screen because everyone was playing back, whether Roby was setting a screen or Muscala was setting a screen. It didn't matter. Pretty much SGA was taking one-on-twos that entire first. So he had to kick it back out to Isaiah Roby and Muscala. And they could not hit shots, and neither could anyone else from downtown. OKC started 4 of 16 to begin things, and 0 of 9 from the three-point line. So it was a major issue because our offense was just not firing. Whenever our three is not there, we tend to struggle a bit because, you know, our options are really just going to SGA on penetrations, which he is one of the best in the NBA at doing so. But teams aren't going to be able to adjust to that. And, you know, it was one of those things where no one was hitting and we kind of ran out of options. So SGA just shot two of seven in that first quarter for four points. And the team collectively, we didn't hit a three in that first quarter at all. We shot 0 of 12 from deep on what was pretty much wide open shots and the Clippers I mean they were they slowed down from their three and three start from the on the arc but they still managed to shoot it four of eight from three to begin that first quarter so they were not doing that shabby whatsoever to begin things and it's also worth mentioning they were shooting 63 percent in that first quarter like what so Second quarter kind of seemed like our time. You know, we need to come back, get at least a little bit of a run in there. So it's not a complete blowout. And Poku, he hit our first three of the game. And the irony there is is gold. I'm really happy Poku was able to find his shot. So he, he hits a pull-up, you know, where he gets the ball, dribbles it once, and just chucks it up there. Line drive, bang. And after that, we kind of stagnated. There was not a ton going on on offense. Hamadou Diallo, though, he got the ball maybe like eight feet out from the rim, took one dribble in, and just soared up. He didn't have any sort of running start, but he just flew up in the air, his head's damn near at the rim, and he almost cracked it in. If he would have got the posterizer dunk, I forgot who it was on, but if he got the posterizer dunk down, that would have been on Sports Center, and that would have been probably the biggest deal out of that game. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. That's going to be, you know, the Blake Griffin dunk on Kendrick Perkins. You see that in all the YouTube highlight reels or whatnot. The Diallo over whoever that Clippers defender was, that's going to be plastered all over YouTube for the next 10 years. Forever, pretty much. He wasn't able to get it to go, though. Would have been really crazy if he managed to pull it off. Just wasn't meant to be, I suppose. And, you know, it, it, it's just like we couldn't get anything really going to break us out of this huge deficit we found ourselves in. And 
We actually were outscoring the Clippers 10 to 9 at one point in that second quarter. But then the Clippers went on a 10-0 run to take a 55-28 lead. And going back to the threes, we kind of reverted back to chucking up threes. You know, when we started outscoring them in, in the beginning parts, it was because we were going down low. Whenever we settled at the perimeter, it was just brick after brick. We started 2 of 20 from downtown. And we did catch a bit of fire after that. So the whole live by the three, die by the three does have some merit to it because we kept shooting and we went three of four after that point to elevate us to five of 24 from three. And it actually helped us get back into this game because the Clippers had a lead as big as 27 points in that second quarter, but it got cut down to 17. And the reason that we were able to cut it down, it wasn't because of that three or four shooting outburst we had from three. Sure, it definitely helped us to some magnitude, but the credit needs to go to SGA. He was converting on near everything. He was getting every shot he wanted in. He was taking Marcus Morris to the post and like fading on him. He hits it. He was hitting step back threes. I think he had two step backs on some Clippers guys in that one because they were forcing him to play outside. He's going to create space, you know, with a bigger matchup on him for the most part. Then with a little step back, gets that separation. He can get that shot off. He hits two of those. And then he took a Baca under the rim. And this may have been the highlight of SGA's night. He was driving baseline, and he's going up for this, like, reverse layup or whatnot. He got Serge Ibaka lodged right behind him. And he got the shot off right as his head was, like, under the rim. So Serge Ibaka was not going to be able to swat this shot. The rim was right in front of him. So it was not it was not able to be contested. And Ibaka, I mean, we've seen him before. He is one of the best defenders who have ever come through the Thunder organization. So he made it difficult. But this acrobatic reverse layup was not, you know, missing. He ended up nailing it down. And that's what led to us being able to find other people from three. And despite us being down that huge margin of 27, we actually were able to cut this down to just a 17-point Clippers lead by halftime. And SGA, he shot 5 of 5 in that second quarter. It got him up to 16 points by half. Really just leading the charge. I mean, we had George Hill, who shot 3 of 5, as well as Darius Baisley, who, you know, has been a major shot creator for us to this point. Um, it has not been falling as of recently. But you cannot give up hope in Baisley. You know, if, if at this point in the year you want to quit out on Baisley and try to, you know, say that he's not better than a lot of other people and you don't see him in the huge future... You're just acting delusional. It's one of these slumps. He's going to get his stuff back together. We've seen him at his best this season. And to just imagine that he's going to be playing at, you know, below par level the whole year is just ridiculous. He's going to have a breakout game again, and he will be able to get back on the right path. But, yeah, he started 3 of 8, 2 of 6 from downtown, so he had 8 points. And beyond that, there was not a lot of action. No, I will say Hamandu Diallo was a bright spot. 3 of 4 shooting, as well as 3 assists in that first half. And the surprising thing was, 
Diallo had three, SJ had five, and no one else was even close. Everyone likes to say Diallo has tunnel vision because he does at times, but he's opened up. And he was one of the major parts of why we were able to claw back in. SGA is number one, but you might want to put Diallo at number two. Because SGA and Diallo were really the only magnificent players in that first half. They were the bright spots. Everyone else kind of just left in the shadows behind them. But they were able to rally with each other to get back in and make this an interesting one. And, you know, the reason that we were able to fall so far behind was because the dynamic duo for the Clippers was pretty much unstoppable. Kawhi had 17 points, and Paul George had 16 points. And Paul George would have shot perfect in this first half. He was 7-7, seven seven, but he chucked up like a half court or something to end the second quarter. So pretty much just perfect in that first. No one was able to stop him. He had George Hill matched up on him. He had Kendrick Williams matched up on him. Didn't really matter. Was not able to test the shot. And then with Kawhi, he was not as hot. He was 6 of 11, but that's still very, very solid efficiency. And he was not lingering around the three as much. He only shot it three times. But he was kind of working in the mid-range and the inside. So that's how he got his 17. Those two combined for 33 of their 70 points in that first half. And then you got Serge Ibaka who was kind of just doing the dirty work down low because, you know, Roby was kind of being forced out of position with all these passes. And when everyone's so oriented on focusing on the perimeter, at times, whenever we tried making our adjustments, it led to Ibaka and Roby just one-on-one. -on -one. Not to mention the fact that Ibaka was able to get two offensive rebounds in that one and just get some easy second-chance points. However, you know, I actually was not counting these guys out. Whenever we were down 27... I think the doubt really was apparent. Like, it's not like it just crept in. Like, whenever we're down 27, it's like, damn. Ah, oh my gosh. This, this is going to be hard to come back from. But whenever we got back into it with 17, I didn't have an issue. And fun fact from this game, we actually were shooting the best out of our past three games, surprisingly, in that first half. We shot 22 of 52. That's good for 42.3%. Our Tuesday matchup versus the Nuggets, 18 of 44. So just 40.9%. And against the Bulls last week, we shot just 19 of 47. So 40.4. Didn't seem like we were that hot. And we really weren't. But compared to our last ones, we were doing solid. And if you guys remember, we were down 18 to the Bulls uh, whenever we matched up against them by halftime. We won that game in overtime. So trying to rule them out after halftime was absurd. And what we needed to do in that second half was just clamp up on the major stars for them and get the ball rolling from some of our other sources of offense. Like SGA pioneers the offense, and he creates shots for everyone involved. But people need to be able to hit their shots. It's, it's really as simple as that. So we needed production from our other guys around SGA. And on defense, primary key, locking up on defense. And in the third, seemed like we were able to do that fairly well. We were kind of trading runs back and forth. Like, for instance, the Clippers, they jumped out to a 23-point lead early. But the Thunder went on a 15-2 run to cut the lead to just 10 points. SGA was driving inside, and he got a Baca push on him. 
Easy, just dump it right down Isaiah Roby. He got like two or three freebie dunks in this game. All because of how SGA was able to kind of force players onto him. And Lou Dort, he was also a major piece. He went off again in the third. And I forgot if it was in the Lakers or the Bulls game or whatever. But he had 15 points in a third quarter recently. He had 11 in this one. And he shot 4 of 5 for those 11 points. They were coming from downtown. And Dort has not had a game this year where he hasn't hit a 3. He wasn't making that streak stop. No one was stopping him. He doesn't have to just dribble in the shots. He will just pull it right in your face, even when he knows. At least, I, I would think he knows that his release uh, is not that fast. He has the confidence to make up for it. So he'll pop it right in your face, and he will make it rain when he gets hot. He's the real deal, and he showed it in the third. That's how we were able to have some standing chance at one point. But... We do need to mention that they had a 13-point lead entering the fourth. So we, are, we were able to just keep clawing and clawing, but we still need 13 points to go to make things work in this fourth quarter. And a major bug throughout the game sort of just hit us in a very huge wave in the fourth quarter. And it had to do with free throws. Free throws were, were just like one of the defining moments that kind of took us out of the game. But we got the Clippers in the bonus just two minutes into the fourth. And they were kind of just able to force themselves into positions where the refs had to make calls. They were looking for fouls. And when they weren't looking for fouls, they were just reverting back to extra pass after extra pass to find a wide open shot from downtown and you know even though they're playing this style of ball we still had people who were doing very well for us we were trading points with them and we cut the lead to 11 points with two to go so we chopped down really what was a pretty big lead um but it was just it was really just a matter of time time was on the clippers side and you know if we're gonna drop 11 in two minutes that would be probably the highlight of our year. The Hornets almost did it to us. We couldn't pull it off. They couldn't pull it off either. We end up falling 120 to 106. But still were a lot of bright pieces on the squad. And this may have been Shade Gilgis-Alexander's best game of the year to this point. Because in these games where he's gone off for 30-plus, seems like there's always other people around him. And this one... He was the focal point of the Clippers' defense for 48 minutes, but despite that, they could not stop SGA. He shot 11 of 20 from the field, 2 of 5 from deep, and 6 of 6 on the line. So he gets 30 points, 3 boards, and 8 assists. Stat sheet, probably not the best game on paper, but the impact he had definitely was. If SGA got pulled out in this one, if he was hurt or something... We wouldn't have been able to crack 80 points, to be honest with you. That's how big he was. You can put another piece in there. He's not giving you a third of the production SGA had in our game. And the reason was because SGA was finding himself in the paint pretty much every single chance he could. He was really just being banged to shoot the three ball in this game. You know, he had... 
players like Serge Ibaka up top a lot on him. And there was a cool five feet of room. SGA had shoot around right there. This guy would have had a practice drill shooting the basketball. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to go inside where he felt really confident at the time. Because sure, you can be shooting 40% from three. And statistically, hell, if you're a 40% shooter, you want to, you're a really good shooter in the league. He wanted to drive in though because the percentages for him are much, much higher. I don't have the stats pulled up on me on his percentages like five feet in. I'll get that to you uh, in my next one. But yeah. He was able to operate in there. He knew he was feeling it, so he kept attacking. Despite going one of seven to start, you know, he, he just kept chugging along. And he went nine of 13 in those last shots. So, really, he is not your typical point guard, and that's what makes him so inept to kind of dig his way into the lane. He's not going to stay at the same pace throughout the entire play. So he he like dribbles the ball super duper slow. And it's kind of similar in like the fast break where he'll take it really cool until he hits the timeline. Like he just bursts to the lane. It's kind of similar here. Like he'll hit you with a couple super duper slow crossovers and no one's going to get fooled like that. Like I could be put on SGA and his first couple of crossovers wouldn't be a problem. It's when he starts going into attack mode. Like, he gives you a couple of feelers with the crossovers, but then, you know, in a snap of a finger, that's when he starts blasting off. And when he starts kind of moving from side to side to get you leaning one way or the other, that's how he finds himself in. So the change of directions and change of speeds, just rapid fire, catches the defense off guard. And that's how he's able to kind of just squeeze by a defender and take a big man to the rack, and he was able to do that. So good on him for getting the 30 points. A lot of excellent plays, not just inside, but as I mentioned, really everywhere, whether it's the threes, the middies, he did it all. So A-plus on him, probably his best performance of the year. But when you look farther down the line, you still got Lou Dort, who had 19 points again. He has had these ups and downs where he's going for 20 you know, a couple games in a row. I actually, I don't know if he had a couple games in a row, but he was getting 20-point outbursts earlier in the year, and then he just cools back down to like four, five, six points. No, he was back to trying to drop 20 again. 19 on 7 of 13. Once again, leads us in three balls. Actually, I guess it ties, but he shot three of seven from downtown. He's always been our most consistent shooter this year um, as crazy as that sounds like if I told you that in the beginning of the bubble last season like oh yeah Lou Dort's gonna be our best three-point shooter next year you would probably start laughing in my face and you know I could even show you the roster like what it looks like now you would definitely put other people above him like George Hill obviously you have to throw him in SGA you probably have Dort at the very bottom because he wasn't hitting he's changed that now he's a real threat so he was able to Hit the threes and then going inside, he's able to just get you. The the defender frozen a bit. Whether he's like pinned in the corner or something, he'll hit you like a jab step or whatever, or just give you a quick size up move. And then he'll just try like going in the paint. And SGA, he's more like speed oriented when he drives in. Dort, 
He's more about the power. Like, if you wanted to be a little actor whenever Dort's trying to go in on you, you could probably try to get a charge. Like, you could jump in front of him. Dort's going to probably injure your shoulder because he's going to have so much impact on you. Like, just how fast. I don't know fast, but he's like a boulder driving through the lane. So anyone he's going in contact with, he's gonna, they're going to take a beating. So he brute forces his way inside, and that's how he gets the penetration shots. But with him being able to hit from three, turns him into a very viable option. And another player who was a viable option, George Hill. Five of nine shooting, two of five from downtown. He was going back to the early stages of the season. He was going back to floaters. And he tried just turning into a three-point shooting only player. I'd say in the past couple weeks, he needed to get back inside. And when no one else was really providing for us, George Hill was the pick-me-up guy. He hit some threes, but I really think the floaters are what helped a lot for us. He was the reason that we kind of got defenders a little bit shaking up, and then other people like SGA came out. But, yeah, just getting in, four floaters. He wasn't phased by the fact we were down a lot of points, and he ended up being one of our best pieces, really. And behind him, you got two other double-digit scorers off the bench in Muscala and Diallo. Muscala just firing away every single time he could. He shot 4 of 11, 3 of 9 from downtown. So, I mean, the percentages are not too, too solid. But no one else on the team was really hitting the three ball at a very high clip. And we started the three really poor. We got it up to... 14 of 42, so just 33% by the end of things. So we got it back up. But the early struggles just stayed with him and the rest of the team there. So Diallo, he wasn't one of those guys. He was kind of an outlier where he wasn't wanting to shoot the three. Every single player who we played shot a three in the game, but he only shot it once. And he was all about attack mode. So in 18 minutes, he got 10 points, two rebounds, four assists, and a steal. So good on him. I don't know why he got pulled. I, it's probably just due to the defense. Uh, we kind of want to test other people out there on Paul George, but it is what it is. So good on him. Uh, behind him, we got people like Roby, who he had eight points, four rebounds, and two assists in 28 minutes. Abaka was just outmatching him inside. Um, Abaka ended up finishing this one with four offensive rebounds. So not as bad as what. Jokic, Millsap, and Jamichael Green were doing to us against Denver. But it was still there. So, Roby was trying. He just kind of got put in a difficult spot again. And that's why I wasn't able to get as high of numbers here. So, I'm not too worried. But, all about SGA. This was really his, his game to take over. And, if he hasn't proved us that he's going to be a star in this league, this is the one where you need to be taking it very, very serious. If you have not already been. But for the Clippers, they move up to first in the West. Kawhi and Paul George were magnificent. There's no other way to put it. They had 60 points combined. Kawhi drops 31 on 10 of 21 shooting. Paul George, 29 points off 10 of 19 shooting. So got cooled off from that 7 of 7 start. That's how we were able to get back in. But he was able to pick it back up when it mattered, like in the fourth quarter or whatnot. So those are your commanders. Abaka finishes with 17 on 7 of 8 shooting. 
11 boards to go along that, so he gets the double-double that he wanted. Really, he was just able to just body whatever Thunderbag that was thrown up on him. So, really good performance from Surge. And Nicholas Batum, who was just given away when the Hornets bought out his contract. He's been a really good, good player for them. He's averaging like double digits, I think, when you include this game. He's averaging double digits for the year. And he's able to play at the 2, 3, and 4. He was playing more at the 4 in this game, so he's taking on Baisley. He was able to stop Baisley. As I mentioned, he, he only shot 3 of 8 in the game. But Batum was 5 of 6. And when we're talking about who was getting the kickout passes out of like drive-ins, it was Batum. He was 4 of 4 from downtown. And people were just kind of leaving him because they they were weighing their options. They're like, let's test let's test Nick Batum instead of someone like Luke Kennard or Lou Will, whoever may have been out there. They wanted Batum to take it, and he was making us pay with those twelve points off of the three balls. Outside of that, they had no other double digit scores. It was really just the starters doing the work for them. The bench did not have to do a ton in this game. I mean, Zubac, he did solid being the center he is. 3 of 4 shooting. 8 points and 5 boards in just 15 minutes. Lou Will and Luke Kennard, surprisingly though, they couldn't get any sort of rhythm. And I think we should have just been clamping up on Batum and making other people shoot it because Lou Will and Kennard were not hitting the threes. They were 0 of 8 when you look at them together from downtown. So we did end up testing them but may have been a little bit too late. Once we saw Batum firing up, you got to pull the plug on him. So Kennard and Lou Will were not feeling it. They only combined for 11 points off of 4 of 15 shooting. And the only other person of note probably is Marcus Morris, 3 of 7 for 7 points. The main reason they won this game actually did not come down to just field goal percentages, as you may believe so. The numbers tightened up a lot. Like, we shot 47% by the end of this game. The Clippers shot just 51%. And from three, we actually shot a higher percentage than the Clippers. They cooled off big time with their bench guards. They were 10 of 33 for 30.3%. We were 33%. As I said, 14 of 42. The main reason the Thunder lost. Officiating. Uh, and, I mean, they're making the right calls, but, I mean, we were blowing air in the face of these guys, some of these guys, and they were getting the trip so high. They get the bonus with 10 minutes to go in the fourth. I think we may have gotten it, like, with five minutes to go or something, but that five-minute gap really just gave them the opportunity to take this game. They ended up shooting 25 free throws, and they hit 24 of 25. The only person... To miss one of their free throws was Patrick Beverly, of course. And that was his only point, by the way. He was really just there for defensive efforts. But yeah, so 24 of 25 there. We only shot 13 free throws, and we only made 10. So that in total, they actually scored 14 more points off of free throws. If we want to subtract 14 from the Clippers' score, we would have had an extra period. So obviously... If we're looking at which of these fouls were the correct calls, yeah, they should have had that many free throws or near near that. The outcome wouldn't have been swayed. 
off a couple cults. They needed a lot more cults. But, you know, we were kind of being hurt for our physicality in this game. The Clippers, they were kind of just thriving on it. They had eight steals, and they did not have a lot of personal fouls to go with it. Only had 19 there. But with us, we also had eight steals. Had 21 fouls, so a bit more. But going off shooting, that's kind of where we struggled. When they were up in motion, we were giving them and one opportunities. And it really just ended up hurting us in the long run. So we are going to be matching up against the Clippers again on Sunday. So I guess tomorrow at this point. I'll make sure to get the game preview out to you guys. So do not worry about that. I'll be telling you all what to be looking out for this next one. And... Just a big hit. It's probably going to have a lot to do with rebounds because we got out-rebounded 55-236 in this one. And that's going to be some other stuff as well. So make sure to stay tuned with that. I'll be making an article on the game recap as well as the preview on my website, kylesingler4mvp.com, if you want to read that. But other than that, that's all I got. So thank you all for listening to today's podcast. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.